Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartages, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the AEC Marketing for Principals podcast. I'm your host, Katie Cash, and today I'm excited to bring to you the man that Engineering News Records describes as a transforming uh, construction individual who takes alpha males, we all know them, in our space and turns them into service-focused leaders. I am talking about Brent Darnell. Many of you in our industry across the design and construction space have had the opportunity to listen to him speak at industry events. Maybe you've been through some of his seminars. Maybe you're part of his growing list of clients. But today, Brent is with us. And for those of you that might not know him, he is an international best-selling author. And again, he's the authority on emotional intelligence. So today, we thought we would bring Brent on the show and we would talk just about how emotional intelligence plays in today's sales and marketing world. So Brent, welcome to the show. And again, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Katie. It's good to be here. I, I don't get to talk enough about the this particular subject with emotional intelligence. We mostly talk about you know relationships and teams and projects, but, but there is a, a marketing side to, I've created some courses and, and some materials on how do you tap into the emotional side of marketing, which is what you guys are all about. So this is kind of a fun thing for me to be able to talk about this because I don't normally get to, to talk about this a lot. Well, I love that. And so um, I think it's a good partnership. Let's, you know, let's start at the beginning, maybe for our listeners in your own words, Brent, maybe tell us to you what emotional intelligence is and your philosophy towards how firms can embrace it for marketing. Okay. Well, first of all, what it's not. <laughs> people have all these misconceptions about emotional intelligence that I'm going to just make people be nice or, um, group, you know, things like group hugs and singing Kumbaya. And um, they think it's about this real touchy-feely kind of stuff. And it, it, that is so not what emotional intelligence is. Emotional intelligence, the way I define it is, understanding and managing your own emotions and understanding and managing the emotions of others for the best outcomes. Now, sometimes that means being more assertive, you know, to get what you need. And then sometimes that means being more empathetic and more compassionate. And it's knowing to do which thing to which person at which time is the magic. And that's the kind of things we teach during our programs is how to take those, um, those, instances where you're you're connecting with other people or not and then how to manage those emotional states to connect better and get the results that you need. And I think you kind of hit it on the nose right there. A lot of people do kind of just put it aside as this just touchy-feely thing or they immediately say, you know, I'm an introvert or I'm not a feeler. That doesn't right. apply to me. But yeah. it, it's right. It's it's you know, it's it's equal part self-reflection and self-awareness, understanding where where you're sitting on your emotional journey presently. Right. Uh, situations in which you're facing, and then also understanding the emotional um, stature of others and how, you know, you might be able to manage that situation better. And what I always tell my clients when we're talking about sales and marketing is they always like to lead with these product features, right? You know, yes. on, on budget, I'm right. in this offices, I'm here, there, and the other. And I was like, you know, always. But those are just features and I don't care what industry you're in across, you know, the business to business world. If you're selling the most complex engineering solution to a very highbrow, you know, technically advanced, very sophisticated buyer, or if you're a, you know, a school contractor, 
all of these selection committee members, all of these professional owners, they buy things emotionally. Absolutely. That I can't believe that at all. So I'm really excited to kind of dive into this this new world of yours where you're marrying your um, emotional intelligence, understanding, and you know marketing, and also this comes to this culmination with leadership. And I think you and I interact so much with the same type of clientele. These technically trained seller doers that don't really have all the soft skills that are trying to figure out how to, you know, navigate those waters and advance their brand, advance their, their company and and their projects. So I always talk about the, the, the neuroscience behind this, right? Um, Not only of emotional intelligence, because we're hardwired for emotions, but also why do we buy stuff? You know, what is the brain? What is the physiology behind purchasing decisions? And purchasing decisions are not made in the thinking part of the brain. Um, In fact, no decision is made in the thinking part of the brain. It it has to do with your amygdala and the, the primitive brain, the lizard brain. And I'll never forget, I was at an AGC conference and there was a panel discussion with two owners on the panel. It was Disney and MD Anderson Cancer Center. And one of the questions was, well, how do you choose your designers and contractors? And the audience was like ready to write down whatever that was, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, it's probably 3% margins or it maybe it's uh, whatever project delivery. It's relationship. It's 100% relationship, right? What they said was, um, they said, well, you know, they looked at each other and then they looked back out and they said, it's just a feeling we get during the interview process. Yeah. That that was it. That was their whole criteria. And everybody was like, what? What what does that mean? Like, how do you create a feeling to this? And, um, but, but the cool thing about it is that if you, if you've ever read the book, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman, he's a psychologist that won the Nobel Prize for Economics, and he studied the neuroscience behind why people buy stuff. And what he found out was that the cognitive part of your brain doesn't kick in until you've already made the decision. And you, right. you, will, you will justify that decision with some numbers or some objective sort of criteria. But the, the decision is made in the emotional part of the brain. And, and we always use this example. Like, what if you looked at a photograph of a, a smiling baby? What if you were looking at that photograph right now? What would your reaction be? probably you're going to smile, you're going to connect with that baby in some way. And it's automatic. It's, it's, that's tapping into the limbic part of your brain, the emotional part of your brain. That, that feeling is your subconscious. It's the, it's the limbic system. You automatically react to that. But then take a, let's just try this. This is the other, other part of your brain, the, the system two brain, the, the conscious thinking part of your brain, solve this equation in your head right now, 578 times 634. What is that? Well, what happens is your brain starts trying to solve that problem and it burns a lot of glucose. And as it turns out, our brains are very, very lazy and it doesn't like to burn a lot of glucose. So in fact, my guess is that anybody listening to this have already given up on trying to solve 578 (laughs) times 634 because it's not life or death. You don't have to come up with that answer. Um, so your brain just says, you know what? I, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not important for me. So, but the smiling baby is automatic. And, and that's, what, that's how we come up with uh, how your brain reacts to certain stimuli that's given to it, right? So 
um, that's the system one versus system two. System one being the unconscious, the limbic system, the emotional part. System two is the thinking part. And what Kahneman found out is all decisions are made in the system two, the, the subconscious, the limbic system, everything, which has, think about it, that has no language and it has no math. It has no numbers. Yeah. And, you know, in our industry, whenever we're coaching, you know, architects, engineers, or contractors for that, you know, for that opportunity with MD Anderson or with Disney, and we lead with, you know, the, the number one emotion, the feeling we want that audience to come away with is trust. I want to them to feel like they can trust you with this mm-hmm. project, no matter the complexity, no matter how tight the deadline is, or, you know, if you are servicing it remote or you're going to be right there down the street, we just want them to come across as being trustworthy because we find that when we're interviewing owners and asking them what do they want to feel, that's the leading emotion that we find for them in buying professional services. Yeah. I don't know if you've found that to be I, I the, think that's the ones or? Yeah, I think that's very true. I think any positive emotional state that you can get them in, whether that's creating some humor and laughter or just connecting with them as human beings in some way. And, and that's easy to do with things like cancer centers. Like if you have some cancer survivors or, you know, you can talk about what's important to them, which right. connects you emotionally to them. Um, but the, the people, I don't know why, um, I don't know why technical people don't get that because they continually give them statistics and resume. And oh, yeah, we love site, the data. Here's our site logistic. Well, it's easy and it's, it's you know, it's, it's cut and dried and you don't have to, it's not out of your comfort zone. Um, but here's, let me give you an example. Another example we use, um, what's your brand of mayonnaise? So, and if you don't like mayonnaise, what's your brand? What's your brand of peanut butter then? Okay. So you uh, got that brand, right? I do. Yeah. So think about if that brand and you probably go in and buy that brand. Do you look at the price ever? I never look at the only thing okay. I look at the price is if it's like one of those buy one, get one free things. Okay. Like, oh, maybe so. But, but if you saw your brand of, and what's your brand of, of peanut butter? Um, Peter Pan natural. Peter Pan natural. And right next to it, there was some, something called Billy's peanut butter for 50 cents cheaper. Would you buy it? No, I don't think so. Probably not. Probably not. Cause you have an emotional connection to that brand. Maybe you grew up with that brand or you found that brand later in your life and you loved it so much and you love that beautiful peanut butter and jelly sandwich that you can make, (laughs) right? You have this emotional attachment to that brand and price becomes a lot less relevant. Um, But, but the other thing they want, those, those selection committees want is an ease of decision. Right. They don't want to have to think too much about it. Right. So if you can make their decision easy by saying, wow, these guys are so awesome. They, they're, they're seamless. They work together well. They, they read each other's thoughts. They're, they read our thoughts. They, they connect with us. It's an easy decision for them to make. Absolutely. Yeah. You always want to make it easy on the owner to pick you. You don't want to give them any insights to you know, make them have to go before their board and justify why they wanted to hire you, right? Right. Exactly. So um, I do want to talk to you kind of switching gears just a little bit, but mm-hmm. you, you started to touch on it. Um, in other words, but let's talk about the resting engineer face. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a term that I, I've, I've seen you use before. I've heard about it. I think um, I'm married to an engineer. So oh, I, um, bless I your heart. Relate. 
do it. I can relate to it. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about that and, and your expertise and how do you, how do you get those uh, leaders that you're working with comfortable and get them in a, in a positive emotional state so that with, when they are in front of owners that that kind of resonates and it starts to build that emotional rapport together. Right. Well, it all, bec- it becomes what's about is, is the first impression. Like how do, how are people perceiving you and with resting engineer face, which is what many people have in this industry, as you know, um, it's the first impression. Always get people to l- look at a resting engineer face and say, "What? What do you think about this person?" And they'll say things like, "Well, they look bored. They look disinterested. Disengage. They don't like me. Uh, they're serious. Um, they're angry." You fill in all these blanks, right, with a with sort of a neutral face, but a little bit of a smile. We call it the Buddha smile. Just a little bit of a smile changes that perception utterly and completely. Um, so the perception of a little bit of a smile is this person is approachable. They're friendly. I can trust them, right? Um, so we talk a lot about those first impressions. And here's the other really bizarre thing in terms of some latest research in neuroscience is uh, people with with neutral faces like that have lower empathy because what they found was when they did these experiments showing people different emotional states, the muscles in their face uh, started to be engaged to match that emotional state that's in the photograph, right? which informed their brain what that emotional state was. Because people naturally mirror each other, right? That's yes. kind of a yeah. font. It, they, they talk about that in terms of um, not just your face, but just general body language. And, exactly. It's yeah. a, and we have mirror neurons that light up that, that matches that emotional state that the other person's in. So if you have that neutral face, you're, you're going to be less adept at knowing what that emotional state is because your facial muscles aren't informing your brain what that emotional state is. Now, that's pretty cool to think about, isn't it? And think about people with Botox. It's wild. Like, they can't move those muscles, so they're going to be less empathetic than somebody who can. It's definitely <laughs> an interesting, uh, something to ponder. Yes. Think, I mean, think about that in terms of, like, reading uh, a selection committee. You've got to read them. You gotta, it's, a, it's an interaction. It's not a performance. You've okay. got to, and if they start looking bored or, or checking their phones or watches or, you know, moving around a little bit, you've got to react to that. You've got to recognize that. So it takes a lot of empathy to connect with those, those selection committees, right? So how do you, when you're working with um, your clients or you're leading some of these industry groups like CMAA or, or you mentioned earlier AGC, mm-hmm. how do you help them understand, you know, what is empathy and, and how to tap into that? Well, it, at first it becomes more of a cognitive thing, like examples of empathy and, and trying to listen better. Um, uh, so you, you kind of start out in a cognitive way. There's even a book called Unmasking the Face by a guy named Paul Ekman. And he actually tells you which muscles are engaged that, that show you what different emotions are. Well, for engineers, that's kind of cool, nerdy kind of stuff, right? So they can look at the muscles that are engaged and say, that's an angry face. That's a puzzled face. That's a really happy face. That's a... A resting engineer face. A resting engineer face, right? <laughs> But uh, so we start more in a cognitive way. And I'll tell you a real quick exercise we use a lot. Um, When you get home from work, sit your spouse down and and ask them to tell you about their day. 
and you can't offer any suggestions. You can't solve any problems for them. You can't tell them what they should have done. All you have to do is try to figure out what they were feeling during that, those different points in their day mm. and then tell them that, boy, that must have made you feel angry or that must have made you feel really happy about that. And then they can verify that you're getting the right emotional stuff. You know, in our industry of problem solvers, um, architects, engineers, contractors, all the same, I imagine that that's a very hard uh, so difficult. exercise to put them through, to try <laughs> not to solve something, you know, especially if they see one of their loved ones struggling or having a hard day or somebody putting them down. I imagine that that's a, a very uh, right practicing great restraint on some of them. It is. But I do think that's a great um, advice. I also tell a lot of our clients when it comes to marketing tactics, one of the most um, emotionally intelligent things that firms can do as a brand is to practice social listening and to, you know, take constant pulse of how the audiences are engaging with their social media posts, engaging with their website, what they're saying about them in the news and in the media, because it gives you a true understanding of what your clients, what your partners, um, even some of your employees for that matter, are truly saying about you and what they value from you. Um, right. and, and it gives you some insight into how they're feeling, how they're thinking about things. And I think that's exactly. great insight that, that brands can use. Absolutely. And I think once you get this idea of how are people perceiving us, you can you can do an inventory of everything in your office, all your social media, all your website. Does our website have like a bunch of buildings on it? I know architects website always have empty buildings. And I think, where are the people? Like, why don't you show some people using your building? And they go, no, people just mess up the shot. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're like parasites or something. They That's they mess a whole up another level of photo release. We don't want right. to do that, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what are you conveying? Are you conveying we're technically excellent? Well, you and and thirty other companies that they could choose from, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you are you trying to connect with them in some way? And it's and again, it's all about those initial impressions. One real easy thing to do that I tell companies all the time have trade phones and have it check each other's outgoing message. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, yeah. And most of them are, are horrible. They're either a number and I don't know if it's a person. So I may have dialed the wrong number. So I always call those back and get the same Hang number. Call again. Yeah. yeah. Um, make your outgoing message really connecting and, and stand up and smile and move around while you're saying it. And, you know, don't do a boring, horrible outgoing message because that's a lot of people's first impression of you and your company. So, so what's your formula for that outgoing message? What do you, what do you tell Well, me? I just say make it fun, stand up, smile, look in the mirror when you're doing it. So you're smiling and, and putting some energy behind your voice and say, hey, you know, I'm probably out building an amazing building right now or a project that I love right now. Um, but I really want to talk to you, you know, call me back. Something, something that's engaging, that's fun, that's full of energy. That's all you need. It doesn't have to be long, but it has to be interesting. Yeah, I think that's, that's, I think that's great advice. I'm going to ask you to take that a step further. So a lot of what we do today is um, amplified by technology, right? We do a lot of things from sitting behind the computer where we don't have the opportunity to see the facial um, expression of those that we're talking to. So we're, mm -hmm. we're making some assumptions based on their voice. And I do think that it, it's audibly uh, different when someone is smiling through the phone, right? You, totally. you can feel it. It's more, it's warm, it's welcoming. You don't mind having a, a three or five minute conversation, even if it's with an intrusive sales rep, right? If, if right. it 
they've seen nice. But a lot of what we're doing is also communicating via email, maybe through, you know, Slack at short form communication collaboration mm -hmm. tools. So what are some tips you give your clients in terms of understanding emotional intelligence in those scenarios? So they don't just fire off a, you right. know, an emotionally fired email um, where they might be on the defensive and that was not intended. But I feel like we've got all these communication tools at our fingertips, but more often than not, we see examples of miscommunication and right. misunderstanding happening. Well, the, the whole mantra we use is how do you create a positive emotional experience and just, instead of just a transaction? So uh, an email that says, um, you know, calling to find out about the pricing on the elevators. Well, that's a very transactional email. It just say, hi, John, <laughs> how's your day going today? Call it about to get the pricing on the elevators. You know, those little changes in your approach or your introductory thing for an email, your, your exit thing for an email can make a totally different impression of what, what who you are and how you're connecting with that person. Um, and then th this may sound really weird and, and strange, but uh, I understand that there's been some studies that emojis actually create more of a connection than just words. <laughs> so if you're going to make a f kind of a funny thing and this, and maybe especially if it's sort of sarcastic, make sure you put a real funny emoji on there or it could be misconstrued. So um, are you finding that more and more companies, you know, in the design and construction space, those that, that we would have uh, typically categorized as being very buttoned up, very professional, uh, very technical, more traditional in their communication for sure, have kind of loosened the tie a little bit and have embraced exclamation marks and, and emojis? And <laughs> I, I, I work with a 90-year-old company what? in Salt Lake City. And they were pretty stuffy and stodgy to begin with. And uh, they, they have transformed who they are as a company and, and many individuals. And when we first walked into that place, it felt kind of like a morgue, kind of, you know, really, really, I mean, nice and nicely appointed, but really stuffy and really boring. Um, and now when you walk in, it's, it, there's energy and there's, there's people that, that like greet you and there's all this uh, relationship stuff going on everywhere around you. They even changed the tagline to their, uh, they, they redid their whole branding and, and their tagline now is making life better. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. okay. So this is from a 90 year old company. So, uh, and they saw the need. They said, you know, we're, we are a little stuffy and stodgy. And I think most people saw them as, man, you're great builders. Um, you're ethically beyond reproach. You're really technically awesome, and we're we don't like you very much. Like you're you're kind of boring, and and we never hear from you between projects. And you know, and they said we got to change that. That's that's starting to impact our business. So they saw the need. They we worked there. We literally trained everybody in the company. It was a, f a four year process doing that. Oh my goodness, um, that just made me think of a question for you. Um, you know, we see time and time again in our industry really how culture within the firm can drive a business, can drive it into the ground, you know, can help it flourish. Mm -hmm. And it really hinges on that brand living, right? Like yep. this is this is a community you mentioned that that company just rebranded and adopted a new tagline, but it wasn't just a tagline. It was more than just a marketing campaign. They they changed their offices. Like the the whole culture of the organization, it sounds like, has transformed. Yes. Um so 
any tips for our listeners on how leaders or firms can can truly drive cultural change and how how they can tap into emotional intelligence both you know be self-aware of of what that culture looks like today internally and and where they're trying to get to first of all it it takes time um, especially if you're if you're really working changing people's hearts and changing how they interact with other human beings our, our programs are a year long and okay. It, it takes a long time to create those shifts and changes in people, but it has to be deliberate and you have to put resources into it. And the, the, I recommend you start with top management, take everybody through that, that, that kind of training that, that shifts that culture for the top managers. And then you have to train everyone. I mean, we train from the CEO down to the concrete foreman level. And when you say train, what does that look yeah. like? It's a year-long process where we measure their emotional intelligence. We measure their physical uh, peak performance and well-being. Then we create development plans and have lots of follow-up and coaching and meet every six to eight weeks and go through courses like relationship skills and communication skills and stress management and time management and marketing and uh, safety and uh, all, you know, it's a kind of an a la carte thing of what you think is the most prevalent courses and topics for your company and where you want to be. But we reinforce that learning throughout that whole year. And then we reevaluate at the end and see what's changed. And um, we also have online courses through CMAA, which uh, reinforces that learning and that culture and that process as well. Um, So I'm curious, you know, we'll protect the names of the innocent, but could you maybe describe, maybe one of those standout examples of a particular individual that yeah. you've worked with through this program, kind of where they came in at and then maybe where they graduated from. What was the most information that you've had? I, I had a guy who's a 50 year old general superintendent was removed from a project. Okay. The owner hated him. The, um, the owner of the firm or the, the, the owner, the owner of the, the, okay. so the client owner on the client of the project. Gotcha. This, okay. This, That's a big this deal. guy needs to leave. So he was fired from that job, and even his team didn't want to work with him. Even his, his internal project team, he was difficult to work with. So we, we looked at his emotional profile. He had the alpha profile, which is high assertiveness and lower empathy. And um, he was uh, totally devastated because the first time I met him, he looked like just a whip pup. And I just said, you know, Gabrielle, like, what's up, man? And he said, well, I don't understand this because don't these people know that I push them so hard and I demand so much because I want them to be the best and I love them and I want them to be the best and I want our projects to be the most successful. And I said, no, I don't think, I don't think they know that. I don't think they understand that. So we worked on things like empathy and social responsibility and being more of a team player and working on understanding others and motivating them in a different way. And that's what I told him. I said, Gabrielle, you're a smart guy. You're a really good builder. This is just a different set of skills. That's all this is. So he worked on really hard. And six months into the program, they put him on another job with a very difficult client and just see how he was doing. Cause they thought he was doing better. And he was, um, because he had really worked hard on his empathy and being more of a team person and, and understanding others and connecting with them instead of driving so hard. And uh, this difficult client had a construction management firm that managed Gabrielle's company, which was a contractor. 
they created so much trust. Gabrielle created so much trust with this owner's rep that they fired the construction management company and worked directly with them, the contractor. Hmm. Um, fast forward another four months after 10 months after we started this process, they promoted Gabrielle to the operations manager for all of Mexico for this company. So he made amazing shifts and changes in a very short period of time. And one thing that happened personally, which was very funny, he called me about about five or six months in and he said, I know you're not a counselor or anything, but could you help me with this? And I said, well, if if it has to do with your emotional profile, yeah, absolutely. He said, well, our niece just moved in with us and she has a pain in the butt and we hate her. (laughs) We want her to leave. She's trying to tell us how to run our lives. And she's moved in with us and we don't like her and it's a big problem. And I said, well, Gabrielle, what's happening with her? Why did she move in? And he said, well, she lost her job. She got a divorce. So she didn't have a job. She didn't have um, a spouse. So she couldn't afford the place she was staying. So that's why she moved in with us. And I said, Gabrielle, how do you think she's feeling? And his face, this was with a Skype call, his face just like, his eyes got really big and he said, she feels bad about herself, doesn't she? And I said, remember when we first talked? He said, yeah. I said, what, so what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going to get a family meeting. We're going to tell her that we love her and that we welcome her and that we're glad she's here and we're going to support her. And they did that. And he called me back about it six weeks, maybe two months later and said, good news. <laughs> she, totally, <laughs> she totally changed. Um, yeah. She's good. She's nice to live with now. She got a job. She's dating somebody and she's oh, looking for her own place to live. That's great. Isn't that cool? I mean, this guy really got it that it, it was, it was when his empathy kicked in and he, he understood the real problem. Um, and that's what I tell people. You can't solve a problem if you don't know what it is. And I think that's a great example of, yes, you can teach an old dog new tricks. And <laughs> even the most grumpiest superintendent yes. can harness some empathy and find ways to connect with folks. Um, yes. I love that. So, you know, let's, let's stay on the personnel track. Um, okay. I think know as well as as a lot of other people in our space. Right now, firms aren't always just looking for the next project, right? They, they've got a a healthy backlog. They're really looking for the next employee to bring on board Mm -hmm. because they need more people to do the work. So um, from a recruiting strategy standpoint, I'm curious what advice you give principals that are fighting to attract and even retain their top talent because there's a lot of poaching going on right now because there's a very shallow pool of of, um, well-educated, you know, high-performing architects, engineers, and contractors in our space. So Lean into us a little bit on on what that looks like from your perspective. Well, people don't leave companies, they leave people. And if you've got some people that are a little bit toxic or even neutral, and as opposed to another company that has these people that are just awesome people, and they connect well, and they manage people in a really positive, good way, you're toast. You and that has to be deliberate. You have to train those people that they're they're what they're doing day to day have has consequences. And you know, I've got I've talked to companies where the turnover in one department at one leader is is huge. And it's like, why do you think that is? Right? Yeah. Like, it's that guy. It's that woman. It's that person who is causing those people to leave. 
And, and that has everything to do with your emotional intelligence and how you connect with other human beings. Um, but here's the other thing. I, I always tell this story. I call it the tale of two offices because you have to create an office, a space where when people walk in, they say, wow, I want to work here. Uh, and I'll tell you, these are both true stories. I, I, I walked into this office and um, it's a gray place, no, no windows, no artwork on the walls. It's a horrible, crappy couch with a, a coffee table that's kind of beat up and the receptionist doesn't even look up. And then finally she looks up and says, can I help you? Sort of exasperated, right? And um, I said, yeah, I'm here to see John. We'll, we'll have a seat. He'll be out in a minute. So it's like, okay, thank you. So then John comes out and, and we walk down a hall, a gray, windowless, horrible hallway. And then we go to a conference room, again, windowless, horrible place with like successories on the wall, like there's no eye in team and stuff like that. And uh, then he says, you want some coffee? And I say, yeah, I would love some coffee. He goes, well, it's in the kitchen. Go get it. Yeah. So I walk, walk down the hall and I go in the kitchen and there's the styrofoam cups and a, a plastic stirrer thing full of plastic stirrers and there's two canisters you know the two canisters i'm talking about the creamer quote i'm putting that in air quotes and the sugar okay. so i pour this coffee into the styrofoam cup and i put the creamer in and it clumps up oh, because the coffee's cold and yeah. i can't i can't even stir it in so i finally dump it in the garbage and i walk back to the room and we start we start our meeting well that's that's the first office. Now, the second office, this is actually, this was a company in Finland. So I walk in, there, first thing I notice, there's beautiful music playing. The receptionist comes from behind the desk and says, you must be Mr. Darnell. We are so happy to have you here today. Please have a seat. I sit down in this beautifully appointed, you know, little entry area. And on the table, on the table are picture books, like coffee table books of all their projects right? Beautiful photos. And uh, it's just amazing. So I'm looking through that. And she said, you know, Jan will be here in a minute. So uh, finally, a guy comes out. And by the way, there's original artwork on the walls, there's, there's colors and textures. And actually, they told me that they go to local artists, like uh, galleries and stuff and get them to put them on the walls and they sell them for them. So they have all these original artwork all over the office. So we walk down the office. Everybody I come into contact with says hello. Hi, welcome. How are you doing today? Uh, sort of like the Ritz-Carlton model. If you make eye contact with a guest, you've got to greet them in some way and say something to them. Okay. So then we walk in. We sit down in this beautiful conference room, nice music playing, beautiful artwork on the walls, not lots of windows because it's Finland and it gets dark in the wintertime gorgeous place. So he said, would you want, do you want some coffee? I said, yeah. So he calls somebody. About three minutes later, in walks two interns with these silver trays. On one silver tray is a silver coffee pot with a silver creamer with real cream and a silver sugar bowl with sugar cubes. In it. Well, aren't they fancy? I know. And branded cups. Okay. And yeah. silver spoons. And so I fix my coffee and this is beautiful, rich Scandinavian coffee. And I'm, I'm having the, on the second tray is a bunch of petty fours and cookies and cakes and things. He says, please help yourself. So I'm, I'm taking a little petty four, <laughs> drinking my wonderful coffee in a branded cup. And he says, how's your trip? Like, what have you done? 
And I said, well, I, I just got here. And he goes, oh, you got to go to the opera house. I'll get you some tickets tonight because we, we, we redid the, the renovation for that. It's a gorgeous place. You got to see it. I recommend the Sibelius Museum. You got to go there. And he's, he's laying out my whole itinerary for the couple of days that I'm there. Uh, so we talk about the trip and, and Finland and Helsinki and all this beautiful stuff. And um, then about 15 minutes into that, he says, okay, then we start the meeting. So it's like, you know, which company would you rather work with and for? Yeah. It's I, kind of a no-brainer. And again, it's creating a positive emotional experience instead of a transaction. And I, um, you know, I, I can't imagine that it's just because it's the Finnish people are just lovely people. But, you know, some of it, it sounds a little too good to, to be true. Like that, that those two examples are so extreme, right? Yeah. The, and the, they're both uh, totally true. I believe you. And by the way, Finnish people are pretty stoic and kind of resting engineer face. They just understand the importance of creating an impression. Yeah, I think. Um, in my experience, when I traveled over there, they I just found them all to be very, very welcoming whenever I would go into any restaurant or any shop, very helpful. But yeah, on the street, I wasn't. It's not like when I'm driving around downtown Atlanta and I let somebody in front of me, you know, you wave them in and they wave back. You know, I didn't, right. get that, I didn't get that kind of call and response up there. But I am curious um, what kind of information you might be able to share with our listeners as it relates to firms that have embraced this, this EQI mantra, if you will, and how those healthier firms that, that are more emotionally intelligent and have some thoughtful leadership in positions and they have training and they have these modules available, how does that relate to, like, say, their um, their profits or to their market share. This is all about business, right? So how does it really play into that side of things? Well, I can tell you that the company we work with in Salt Lake, I think they were losing market share and there were a couple of young up-and-comer companies that were taking existing clients even away from them. Um, and I think they started winning more work. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example of that. Well, two, I got two examples of that. That, that this, this work won them, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of work. Uh, the first one was they were, they were going after doTERRA, their corporate headquarters and some manufacturing facilities. They, they make essential oils. Uh, they're very conscious about, you know, environment and health and well-being. And I have so, a diffuser on my desk. I know okay, exactly there you what go. you're talking there about. Go. Absolutely. So they, um, they were third on price. So they brought in the top three. Um, to do presentations. And I think they're, they're, I think they actually said this to me, we're not going to win this job anyway. So we're going to do the Brent Darnell crap. I oh think is what they were. The crap. Yes. Yeah. That, you know, that touchy feely crap. We're going to try that because we're not going to get it anyway. Cause we're third. So they went in and it was about, you know, they're a multi-level marketing company. So it's about owning your own company. Well, well, this company we worked with is an employee-owned company, and they use this mantra of we own it. And that was their whole thing throughout the whole process is we own it. We own the responsibility. We're passionate builders. We see your passion for essential oils and health and well-being. Let us marry that passion, and we're going to build you something that, that everybody's going to be just wowed about. And they, they got the job. That's awesome. Um, when, you, when they move forward with the next project, did they still use your crap or was that just a... No, know? they did use the crap. In fact, um, this, this, this one guy, it was the CEO, was in the office of like the provost of a big college and they, they were going to do 
um, they, they had just bid a job. And my, the company we worked with came in first on the first bid, but it was way over budget. So they took the top two bidders and rebid it. Well, on the second bid, my company came in second. So this other company won the second bid. And um, they thought that was really unfair. And they were going to, somebody talked about writing a really strongly worded letter, the how unfair that was, and that we should give They're going to protest it. Yeah, pro, yeah. Yeah. And this, the one guy, total alpha male that totally changed who he was, one of the top leaders said, wait a minute, guys, let's take the high road here. Let's write them a letter saying how much we love them and respect them and love our relationship with them. And they were going like, who are you? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what alien form came down and took John and left you in his place, right? So they did that. So the next time the CEO was in the office of the provost, he handed him a, a roll of drawings. And he said, what's this? He said, well, this is the first of 10 dormitories we're going to build. He said, we want you to just build them. Build that first one. If you do a good job, we'll give you the other, the other nine. Oh, that's awesome. Just, so, you know, just for taking the high road and just being like, no, you know, we're, yes. we're we'll get ours in due turn. Exactly. So, it's funny. I, um, in working with a lot of firms across the design and construction space, um, one of the things that I feel like our clients often forget is what that customer experience looks and feels like on the owner's right. side, right? So yep. they're, they're so focused on getting those design documents done. They're so focused on getting the, you know, dorm built, if you will, but they forget about what that user experience looks like. And, mm-hmm. you know, and talking with you today, what's standing out in my mind is those firms that are out there that haven't really put place, you know, a high value on being, um, intuitive and and being intentional rather Mm -hmm. with their customer experience journey, you know, they have to make it a very good argument in that interview or through the proposal process that it's going to be a a pleasant experience. And if they're not, you know, and they come across as, you know, with rusting engineer face and kind of that, that idea of we're not going to get it and I'm going to protest if you don't hire me, whatever that might be. Right. They kind of get, you know, put in the corner where they, they can really only compete based on fee and they wind up only being able to be the low cost provider because who else wants, like, why do you want to pay a premium and know it's going to be a terrible experience? Exactly. Why would you do that? The other thing is look at the jobs you have right now with the clients you have right now. Are you creating a positive emotional experience or are you creating an adversarial, argumentative, conflict-ridden way of working? What are you creating right now that's going to create the next, you know, five or six projects? And I don't think we do a really good job of that because when we're in the trenches and we're fighting and we pull out contracts and we have issues that come up, we're, we're fighting uh, because we think that's what we're supposed to do. And I'm not saying give away the farm and, and you know, right. don't, don't, you know, make any money. I'm saying if your relationship is great, those kind of conflicts that come up can work themselves out in a much better way. And the more you do that, the more you're creating that emotional experience, which will cause them to choose you for the next project. Absolutely. And you know, in our industry, so often marketing materials and presentations, just in general conversations with leaders, as well as just staff levels, we hear firms all the time really wanting to lead with another feature. And they always like to tout the data and we have 85% client retention or, you know, whatever that might be. And I always counter that and be like, well, that's great. But if you don't have repeat clients, you're doing something wrong. Exactly. 
that's kind of table stakes for me. So let, let's talk <laughs> a little bit more about this. And I want to talk about my job I have right now before you try to sell me on this long-term relationship. You know, let, let's date for a minute and right. let's see if we can even think alike. Um, it's really funny. So, you know, as we have, um, since I have you today and I'm, a, you know, trying to be an emerging leader within our, our agency here at Smartergies, I'm, I'm really trying to create a team that can be um, very complementary of each other and, and collaborative and work well together. And I know one of your strengths and one of your uh, training modules is really about how to produce high performance teams around this idea right. of emerging emotional intelligence in this team environment. So I'd like for you to share a little bit about what that looks like and mm-hmm. um, maybe some success stories you've had in that realm. Well, I mean, you, you can have a group of people that are just sort of working together and even working toward the same goal, which isn't really the same as a team. I think a team comes into play when everybody, there's mutual accountability for the outcome of that, that whatever that is, your work environment, a particular project, everybody's invested. Everybody says, yes, if something goes wrong, I'm responsible for that. That's what I think pulls people together as a team. But if you want to get to a high performing team, that's where I think the emotional part and the human connection part comes into play. And if you get everybody supporting and caring about everybody else's personal and professional goals and and what they want to achieve, either on that project or even beyond, that's when you get people really performing at a high level. Um, so, and, and we have a, we have a thing we, uh, it's called connects where we, we talk about creating these high performing teams. And the first thing we tell people to do is do a two week retreat with as many people on that project team as you can get from the owner side, facilities, maintenance, trade partners, contractors, designers, two weeks with each other. And they go, Oh, that's crazy. Two weeks. That's insane. Yeah. That Who's going to pay for it? <laughs> There's the objections start before I even get the words out of my mouth, right? And but there's a there's a reason I say that because I did these management programs and it was five weeks spread throughout the year. And so during the first week, everybody's kind of getting to know each other and uh, it's 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 difficult and it's dicey and they're uh, really timid and they're not connecting. The magic started happening middle of the second week. That's when everyone came together as a team. That's when everyone let their guards down and trusted each other. That's when the magic really happened. So I think there's something to that because it was really consistent. Middle of the second week, middle of the second week, that's when they came together as a team. Um, So there's some, there's some, like, it's not hard data. It's not a, it's not a, like a, some kind of research project, but I can tell you from experience, it takes that long to get people connecting with each other. And I'd say, okay, if you can't do two weeks, do a week. And if you can't do a week, do a long weekend. And if you can't do a long weekend, do half days on the first month of the project and get everybody in a room and get everybody doing some exercises and talking to each other and sharing their lives with each other and sharing their hopes and dreams and and fears and things that they're struggling with on this project and in their personal lives. And you're going to create a team that, that bonds, that, that trusts each other, that, that, that loves each other, that would, that would take a bullet for each other. And 
I think that's really true. I mean, once you, once you kind of have that group um, accountability mentality, I mean, I've seen it time and time again, people who it's, it's not their proposal, right. But they are staying till midnight till one in the morning with their coworkers. So their coworkers not there by themselves because they, they want to make sure that that person succeeds and they don't want them to be stranded by themselves. And there, there's great power in that kind of, um, you know, there's friendship in that, but also I, I think better productivity. I think there's oh, probably a brand everything, every metric on every, yeah, every metric is better. Employees. Yeah. Yeah. All really great. Uh, Well, Brent, I really appreciate your time with us today. Lots of really helpful dialogue, lots of great tips, uh, some great stories. I I think that we're going to get, you know, hashtag resting engineering uh, (laughs) trending over there. Um, But if anybody listening to the podcast today wants to know more about you, your firm and your services, uh, what should they do? Uh, Probably just brentdarnell.com. Okay. Um, I've got a, if they'll, I, I'm coming out with a fourth edition of my book, The People Profit Connection, uh, which is a, uh, talks about the emotional intelligence for the industry. The subtitle is How to Transform the Future of Construction by Focusing on People. Love that. Love um, that. I'm now putting the final touches on an audio book. So it's, it's a paperback, it's an ebook, and it, it'll be an audio book very soon. Well, congratulations on that. I know that there's a large audience out there that can benefit from your insights and and recommendations for that. I uh, appreciate your time and everybody out there listening. Uh, You can reach Brent Darnell at brentdarnell.com. That's B-R-E-N-T-D-A-R-N-E-L-L.com. And Brent, thanks again. Have a great afternoon. And everybody else, have a great week. Thanks, Katie. I appreciate it. You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principals, brought to you by Smartergies. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting AECMarketingPodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners. 